Within a couple of seconds, there were a number of armed security with great big airport machine guns. An autism patient's daring escape from NHS psychiatric care pits her against some of the most powerful institutions in the state. From the multi-award-winning Sky News Storycast team, in partnership with The Independent, follow Patient 11 wherever you get your podcasts. Just a heads up, this podcast contains material some listeners may find disturbing. There's violence, strong language, and drugs right from the start. It's a Tuesday morning in March 2018. A Dutch-Moroccan businessman named Ridwan B. arrives at his office in North Amsterdam. He runs a printing and design firm. He's also the brother of Nabil B., the star witness in the Netherlands' largest criminal trial. Ridwan never talks about his brother, but recently the subject has been hard to avoid. That's because Dutch prosecutors have publicly identified Nabil as a crown witness. He's testifying against drug kingpin Ridwan Tagi and 16 other men who've been charged with nearly two dozen murders and attempted killings. The Dutch government was supposed to protect Nabil's family. His brother should have been in a safe house by now. Prosecutors were naive in the Netherlands, so they basically thought on the level of maybe you will get a brick through your window instead of your own brother is going to be killed. That's Peter Schouten, one of Nabil's former lawyers. Nabil started to talk to the prosecutors that they should organize the protection around him, his family, very well. But prosecutors believe the threat to his family is exaggerated. One of them writes in a memo, In the Netherlands, the families of Crown Witnesses have never been harmed. So when forced to present evidence in a related case, prosecutors announce Nabil's participation without any warning. One of Nabil's other brothers says, it felt like the family was being sacrificed. Nabil has always been warning uh, police and his lawyers and the people around him that this is not an organization to take lightly. It's a given. Speak about Tagi and he'll kill you. If he can't reach you, he'll kill those that you love. Nabil's mother flees the country, and the rest of the family is concerned Tagi's group is tracking all of them. Nabil's brother Ridwan has been careful. He cancels most appointments. But today, he needs a new staff member for his printing business. And he's about to interview someone for the job. He buzzes open the door. The man is wearing jeans, a black hoodie, and a pair of black Nikes. As the man reaches the office, he pulls out a gun and fires six times. Then escapes in a stolen car. A colleague finds Nabil's brother dead on the floor just outside his office. There's spilled coffee in a pool of blood. I'm Mitchell Prothero, a reporter with Project Brazen. This is Gateway, episode five. On bended knee, is no way to be free. Om duidelijk te maken wat er allemaal is gebeurd en welke. That's the voice of Peter De Vries, a Dutch TV personality described as the Keith Richards of crime reporters. He's a household name in the Netherlands, tall in his early 60s with silver hair and alert blue eyes. He's like the embodiment of the crime journalist in the Netherlands. This is journalist Walter Lamans. He did some very impressive work on big criminal cases. 
but he was also larger than life. Nederland's bekendste misdaadverslaggever. Peter's big break came in the 1980s when he covered the kidnapping of Freddie Heineken, heir to the beer fortune. Peter stuns Dutch TV viewers, helping to solve a number of cold cases. In one, he secretly films a suspect confessing to murder. In another, De Vries persuades thousands of men to volunteer for DNA testing, cracking a long-abandoned murder case. He says, My main interest is in the psychology behind a crime not the act itself. But Peter was always willing to challenge the status quo. He was also a guy who stood up for stuff he thought was right. He got personally involved in in cases. Peter's favorite quote is the one commonly attributed to Edmund Burke. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. He gets it tattooed on his calf. After his brother's murder, the Dutch government belatedly moves Nabil's family into safe houses. They can't even attend the funeral. One of the brothers tells an interviewer, if I find my Dutch passport, I'll tear it up. I gave my brother to this country, and I can't even stand next to his coffin. On television, Peter de Vries keeps highlighting the danger facing Nabil's family. But soon, he has to confront the danger himself. He tweets that police have told him he's on Tagi's kill list. Peter's used to death threats. He tweets about this one just out of frustration because the police won't give him any more details. The next day, Peter posts a new tweet. He's received a surprising message from Ridwan Tagi. He posts the letter in full. In it, Tagi says, With shock and amazement, I read the news that according to the police and justice department, I have ordered you to be liquidated. None of that is true. Pure nonsense. I have no reason to hurt you. You can go wherever and whenever you want without fearing any danger from me. It turns out Toggy's a fan. As a boy, I always watch your TV show. I respect you and see you as a professional journalist. Not a hair on my head thinks of hurting you. I have 100,000% nothing against you. But Tagi's admiring words do not reassure Peter. This is Nabil's lawyer, Derek Veersom, speaking on Dutch radio. Since taking Nabil's case, Dirk has been concerned about his own safety. He's been getting calls from unknown numbers, day and night. When he answers, the line goes dead. And the police have noticed a car driving around Derek's home with stolen plates. It's a Wednesday morning in September 2019, and Dirk is about to drive to court. It's a stressful time. Nabil wants to cancel part of the Crown Witness Agreement. He's gambling the state will sweeten the deal and improve his protection. Dirk gets into his car. As he closes the door, a man in a black hoodie appears, holding a pistol. The man pulls the trigger, but the gun jams. He runs off, and Derek inexplicably chases after him. The gunman tries again. This time, the gun doesn't jam. He shoots Dirk 10 times, then flees in a white minivan. 
Het komt bijna nooit voor in Nederland dat een advocaat wordt vermoord. Toch gebeurde het When vanmorgen. When the lawyer Dirk Wiersen was killed in September 2019, that shocked all society, even the politicians who had been asleep for the years before. That's journalist Paul Wutz. The Tagi case, with its mostly immigrant victims, had so far produced plenty of talk about security. But with the killing of a prominent white lawyer, the Netherlands was shocked. Dutch society had never seen anything like it. And the head of the Dutch police union fans the flames. Organized crime has gotten totally out of control, he says. The Netherlands has turned into a narco state. Over 100 investigators are assigned to solving Dirk's murder. A task force is formed to protect people under threat. And a 400-person intelligence team begins to investigate organized crime. But as for Tagi, he's not finished. The killings continue. More after the break. In the 1950s, spy agencies like the CIA paid artists, writers, and intellectuals to fight the cultural Cold War. Not All Propaganda is Art is a new miniseries from me, Benjamin Walker, host of the Theory of Everything podcast. It's a story about three writers who got caught up in the cultural Cold War, both as collaborators and as targets. It's also a story about the propaganda that made the world we live in today. Find Not All Propaganda is Art on the Theory of Everything feed wherever you get your podcasts. It's March 2020. COVID has the world locked down. Working from home, journalist Peter DeVries gets an email that catches his eye. It's from Nabil's family. After Derek's murder, they need help finding a new lawyer for Nabil. And they want Peter to join the team as media advisor and confidant. The chance to be involved in the biggest story in Dutch crime reporting? It's too much for Peter to resist. Everyone tells him not to do it. That Peter would even consider the request surprises his fellow journalists. Aside from his safety, wouldn't it compromise his journalistic ethics? Walter Lamens had a frank conversation with Peter about it. I said, listen, you've been a crime journalist way, way longer than I am, but you haven't really covered this new generation of criminals. And you have to really watch out because I've misstepped in this whole situation, and a lot of my colleagues have, and it's like you are walking in a swamp. You look around and you figure, shit, I'm in the middle of a swamp. That's the way this stuff feels like. And he looked at me long and he said, I'm capable enough to know how to do this. I had the idea that he had the feeling that maybe I was implying that his days were over, which I wasn't. And he said, my time is not over. Peter makes up his mind. He'll help Nabil, but he's got one condition. Peter wants to continue his work as a crime journalist. So in this case, he was working as a representative of the Crown Witness, but in another case, he could be working as a journalist. In my point of view, Peter Artefries climbed underneath the ropes and stood in the corner of one of the people in the boxing ring. He took a side. That's not the way I work. I think it's a bad choice. Peter brings in his longtime friend Peter Schouten and famed Dutch attorney Anno de Jong to work on Nabil's legal team. Peter asked me to join him as the lawyer, the defense, criminal defense lawyer of Nabil. 
in that team uh, then the name uh, Ono was uh, dropped because he's the expert on the crown witnesses in the Netherlands. And since then we formed a defense team, Peter Artvries, Peter Schouten and me and our client of course with the four of us. When I speak with Peter Schouten and Anno de Jong, they have a full-time security detail. They're living in safe houses 24-7 with cops protecting them everywhere they go. De Vries is offered the same take-it-or-leave-it deal with prosecutors. He either gets full-time security protection or no security at all. Peter refused to have close protection with bodyguards. As a journalist, he felt he could then not operate anymore in his trade because he is speaking to informers and he is speaking to people who should stay secret. He protects his sources. So, of course, that is very difficult when you have uh, six bodyguards walking around you the whole day. De Vries holds a press conference to explain his decision. He says, the Crown witness called me personally. I cannot refuse an urgent request because it feels uncomfortable or dangerous. That's no reason not to do it. Otherwise, I can't look at myself in the mirror. In late 2020, Nabil's new legal team receives a warning. Peter Ardevries, Ono and myself were put on a dead list. They have a plan for these threats. From the first moment I discussed this cooperation with Peter, we were both aware of the risk to do this case. And I know Peter already for uh, 32 years. He was not a man that is quickly afraid and he wasn't afraid about this. Here's Anno de Jong. What we agreed upon is that if something would happen, if somebody would be killed, we wouldn't stop. We would go on and we promise each other to continue. Tagi's prison routine is mind-numbingly dull. But today, at least, the routine is broken up. He's got a meeting with a lawyer. Youssef is in his late 30s. He has a strong resemblance to Tagi. Because Youssef isn't just a lawyer, he's also Tagi's cousin. The Dutch prosecutors didn't want him on the legal team, and for good reason. From the moment they had very good notice of what the communication was, it was about criminal plans. Prosecutors later allege what happens next. Yusuf holds up an iPad, revealing text messages from Tagi's gang. Tagi reads them and then jots down responses on a notepad. Yusuf takes pictures of the notes. And just like that, Tagi is back in communication with his organization. Tagi's got three main orders for the gang. First and foremost, Tagi needs cash. And to get cash, he's got to keep cocaine moving into Europe. Second, and perhaps most dangerous for his family, one of Tagi's brothers in Morocco is on trial for the botched killing in Marrakesh. The judges, Tagi tells Youssef, need to be paid off. Finally, and most importantly, 
Nagi wants to get out of jail. It needs to be the right plan and the right team. One idea is to have mercenaries attack the prison by helicopter in a commando-style operation and dump tons of oil on the roads around the jail to delay the police response. Tagi tells Yusuf he's been planning the operation and has stashed the money to pay for it. Before Yusuf leaves the prison, authorities say that Tagi gives one last instruction about taking care of a well-known journalist. It's July 2021. Peter de Vries has just appeared on Dutch television and is walking down the street checking his phone. A man in a cap follows him from a distance. Then Peter passes two other men. He doesn't notice they've pulled out phones and started filming him. With the cameras rolling, the man in the ball cap walks up behind Peter, pulls out a gun, and shoots him five times. The shooter escapes while the men film Peter bleeding on the ground. They later post the video on YouTube. The message? If you're with the Crown Witness, we'll come get you, no matter who you are. It was a signal. Everybody who is helping the Crown Witness has to go to sleep. Peter spends nine days in a coma before he dies. Ik ben heel diep geraakt door het overlijden van Peter R. De Vries. Heel Nederland is... Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte says Peter was afraid of nothing and no one. During Peter's funeral, radio stations play his favorite song. Peter's adopted motto, on bended knee is no way to be free, appears on signs across the country. His friend, lawyer Peter Schouten, gets it tattooed on his leg. I went into this, I took these risks because I believe in the rule of law. People think that we are crime fighters. We are not crime fighters. We are defending criminals. Next time on Gateway, it's my turn to go face-to-face with Rudwan Tagi. Like, it doesn't hurt to be paranoid ever when it comes to stuff like this, because it's real, you know? It's actually real. Thanks for listening. You can hear the next episode right now by subscribing to Brazen Plus on Apple Podcasts. You'll get access to episodes a week early, along with ad-free listening and bonus materials from the show. Do you have stories or tips you'd like to share? Let us know at gateway at projectbrazen.com. And finally, leave us a rating and review. It helps others find our reporting. Gateway is a production of Project Brazen in partnership with PRX. It's reported and hosted by me, Mitchell Prothero. Additional reporting and production by Don Chu Pinazzo Productions. Editing and fact-checking by Georgia G. Executive producers are Bradley Hope, Tom Wright, and Nicholas Brennan. Special thanks to Sarah Hertz and the whole team at Project Brazen. He's still at large, yes. He was the ultimate whale. What do you mean by whale? In nightclubs and casinos, it's a codename for big spenders. But we define whales by three things. They're ultra-wealthy, powerful, and operate under the radar. Understanding who these people are will open your eyes. Whistle.
Money, power, corruption. At Whale Hunting, we write the real rich list, exposing those who exist in the shadows. Whale Hunting is a newsletter for people who want to know how the world really works. Join the hunt. Subscribe now at whalehunting.projectbrazen.com.